This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. I'm not going to yodel for you, but that has been very much the theme from Tom, Richard and Brandy and an array of Davos-bound friends this morning. Uh, We've spoken to a man who used to run it, the former managing director of the World Economic Forum, Frederick Secret. We've been speaking to the guys from Oxfam about one of their reports. We've been speaking to a man who is sleeping rough at minus 17 in the Swiss town, Simon Milne. He's the managing director of Milne International. He's trying to raise awareness and money uh, for those who will not be wearing cashmere sweaters and Lanyards at Davos this year. Plus, we have had an old friend of the business breakfast in the studio, Steve Bryce, Group Chief Investment Officer of Standard Chartered Private Bank. Used to live here. We've been interviewing him for more than a decade and a half. He's now in Singapore, but he was in the studio this morning to give us his investment outlook for 2024. Where we are trying to diversify our yodeling. Folks in a town that was quite remote heard lay, would lay, would lay, lusty and clear from the goat herd's throat heard lay, would lay, would Oh, oh, lady, oh, lady, oh, oh, lady, oh, lady. Play the sound of music twice this morning. That needs to be a business breakfast record. Go on, go for the hat trick. You've got 56 minutes left. Well, we have had climb every mountain this morning while we have been uh, talking about the outdoor economy, outdoor nomics. Tom speaking to the guys from Adventure HQ about whether or not the country's new obsession with hiking is resulting in a bit of a business spike. Tom, spoiler. It has. Um, I think Nelson, who's the head of business at Venture HQ, joined us a little earlier on. Uh, we put that question to him. Nelson Tellez uh, is the guy from Adventure HQ. Lots of people going hiking, lots of people going camping, lots of people buying fire pits, lots of people taking advantage of the cooler weather. Spike in sales, Nelson? Sales are up about 10%. What we see, it's a lot of newcomers to the outdoor sports. It has been really resilient sector in the market after pandemic. So people concerning about the health, about mental health, and the outdoor is really something that can benefit you on that. So we see a lot of newcomers, people that going to the easy access places in Dubai, like the Love Lakes in Al-Qudra, the Expo Lake. What we see on sales is a spike on the essential so for the first time, for the beginners, your enterprise tents, uh, your sleeping bags, really the essentials, uh, this is what we see. A sound of music, not the only thread running through all of our stories this morning. There is also the cold weather. Obviously, chillier winter weather, uh, prompting people to get outside. Although, as Nelson said earlier, we did have a longer summer this year, so camping season has started a little bit late. Um, it's certainly something that they have been discussing in Iowa, negative five degrees at the moment. That's Fahrenheit. Uh, there was a worry that it would dissuade people from voting. Uh, the caucus has been the hot topic of this morning. Tom has been speaking to a man live from Seattle about the triumph of Trump. Yeah, we caught up with uh, Dr. Patrick Schottmer just a few moments ago from Seattle University, uh, giving us his thoughts on uh, the Iowa caucus. Uh, in fact, he was kind enough to explain the difference between a primary and a caucus. 
uh, for us and for all of our listeners. And also just reflecting on the significant victory for Donald Trump against his nearest contenders. Uh, So Iowa done and dusted uh, a very uh, big victory for Donald Trump to be expected as uh, Dr. Shutma was saying, uh, might be a bit closer in New Hampshire, but it certainly looks like Donald Trump is on course. And, of course, it is chilly in Davos, where they're very fond of a puffer jacket in a photo. They are indeed particularly expensive Montclair puffer jackets because it's billionaires and world leaders who are gathering in the corridors of power, at least in Davos. It begins in earnest today. The first of the sessions will be happening in just an hour or two's time. This is Klaus Schwab, Professor Klaus Schwab, to give him his full title. He's the founder of the World Economic Forum more than half a century ago. Of course, the question always this time of year, is Davos still relevant? Does it really matter? This is what Professor Schwab told Richard Quest at CNN. Davos, of course, bringing together 50 heads of state, 300 ministers, 1,500 business leaders, all the other representatives of uh, civil society, those young people and so on. It creates a kind of pot which is boiling. We've been speaking to his former colleague, Frederick Secret, is based here in Dubai, has been for many years now. He's the managing director or managing partner of TARDIS Advisors. But for a decade and a half, he was the managing director of the World Economic Forum based in Switzerland. And we were asking this question earlier on, does Davos actually achieve anything? Or is it just as Mo, one of our listeners, wrote in, a talking shop? for posturing among billionaires and world leaders. Well, Tom did some research on this and found a website. What was it, Tom? What has Davos ever done for me was the website? <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't find that website in the end, but that was the question I put in. Uh, there were a couple of announcements that were made. Uh, one that Fred actually mentioned, that Nelson Mandela um, declaration back in, when was that? 1995 or something like that. Um, uh, and actually went on to win the Nobel Peace Prize a little later on that year as a result of uh, that that stance. And then the other one was the Gavi Agreement, wasn't they? I can't imagine why I remember the Gavi Agreement, which was to do with um, inoculation of children, the, pre- the pre- prevention of diseases around the world. That was signed into, well, that was one of the results from back in 2000 as well. Frederick C. Gray joined us in the studio a short while ago, and this is what he had to say. You know, I think the uh, the mandate of the forum is to be a convener and a platform for conversations. It doesn't have a mandate to actually have an impact or to follow through on any kind of decisions that are taken up there. The decisions that might be taken within the confines of the conversations are followed up by the individuals. So whether it's on a political side, um, we've seen over the years a number of achievements that the organization has done. Walking back to when uh, Foreign Minister of Germany, Genscher, said to the world, we have to give Mr. Gorbachev a chance. Or how Nelson Mandela changed his mind on nationalizing industries. It's a place that can influence, but it's not a place where decisions are taken. Frederick Secret, formerly of the World Economic Forum. Yeah, more on Davos to come this morning. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Oh, well, we are very pleased to be joined in the studio by a long-term uh, business breakfast guest. Been speaking to this man for a decade and a half. Uh, Steve Bryce, 
formerly of Dubai, now of Singapore, uh, Global Chief Investment Officer of Standard Chartered, uh, spending part of his one day only uh, back in the city with us with his 10 investment themes for 2024. Steve, it is lovely to see you. Thanks for joining us. So nice to be back. Thanks so much, Brandy. Uh, And we enjoyed your blog. Talking about what you expect to see this year and what it means for where we pop our money. Let's start, given that we have a number of reports on this this morning, uh, on where you see the world economy going this year. Global growth to slow, you say. Where are you seeing the green shoots of deceleration? (laughs) Green shoots of deceleration, interesting way to put it. So, look, I I guess if we're looking across the world, you know, the, the, the Delta or the change in growth is likely to come from the US, right? So the story of 2023 was everybody was expecting a recession and it was incredibly resilient. Um, The question everybody's asking themselves now is whether that's just a recession delayed or whether it's something that we've been totally avoided. Our sense is as we go into the beginning of this year, we're just going to see the deceleration coming through, not necessarily a recession, although that remains a risk, um, but growth overall this year at 1.5% versus 2.5% last year. Uh, And the main drivers of that are a slightly less supportive environment for consumer as we go through the year. So excess savings have fallen, still around $400 billion, so that's still supportive. Um, But the labour market to us is also slowing, Um, although the headline job growth is strong, um, that's coming through. So that's where the change is coming from. China really muddling through Europe around recession, uh, at least at the start of the year, not really doing a a huge uh, amount of good. Um, So that's where the uh, deceleration is coming from. What about the elephant in the room for the US man who has done exceptionally well in the wee hours of this morning, Mr Trump? Yeah, um, he does look like he's going to be, unless the courts intervene and stop him from running, right? He looks uh, highly likely to be the Republican candidate. Um, yeah, and obviously it's a long time until November. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he does seem to be positioning himself pretty well at the moment. So uh, I think that's probably less, less important from the US economy perspective, just because it's in November, um, but probably very important geopolitically, um, you know, in, in this part of the world, but also for, for China, obviously, which is uh, front and centre of everybody thinking. Okay, let's have a look at what we're likely to see from central banks this year, what we are already starting to see in some places. Not just the fact um, that we are expecting to see a loosening of policy, but the when. Yeah, and and, and so we're certainly looking for easier monetary policy this year, uh, starting in the US. Um, but I think that the, we wouldn't be as bold as the markets are in terms of timing for us. That you know We're, we're talking about deceleration in new US economic activity, um, but that's going to happen slowly through the year. Uh, inflation remains elevated. So expectations for a March easing we think is, is, uh, is not going to happen. So we're expecting it only to start in June. And actually, if anything, uh, the risks are probably to that being slightly later rather than slightly earlier. So yes, easier policy and significantly so potentially, um, but uh, you know, maybe room for disappointment in the short term. Okay, well, let's look at the correlation between uh, those interest rates, uh, bonds and equities. I know you guys have done quite a bit of analysis here. Yeah, so uh, really uh, the the key point here is when you have inflation above sort of 2.8% in the US, there's usually a positive correlation between stock and bond returns. So... Um, and obviously, we saw the, the downside of that in 2022, where bond yields went massively up, uh, obviously bond prices going down and equities followed suit. Um, our, our sense is as we go into the beginning of this year is that as we see bond yields coming down, um, that's going to support equity market returns. So we start the year um, being pretty uh, upbeat on, on, on global equities. We wouldn't necessarily ex- uh, extrapolate that through the whole year. 
Um, so we, we still have this recession risk um, out there. So growth is likely to be significantly slower second half versus first. Um, so yes, enter the year with a bullish uh, view on equities. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try and judge how long that can last later in the year. Uh, for the global equity rally that you, you mentioned for the beginning of the year, what markets do you expect to lead there? So uh, two markets we have a preference for. So the first is the US. And, and to be honest, that's largely because they have the most rate sensitive sectors being a, a high weight in the index. Um, so technology is obviously one. Communication services is another. So uh, from that perspective, the US is expected to, to outperform just because yields are coming lower. Um, the second is, it's a, I guess it's a consensus analyst overweight, but p- positioning is fairly weak. Um, so Japan, Japanese equities were overweight. Um, and the, the main story here is we're seeing some reforms on the pension side, which is encouraging investors domestically to increase their holding of, of, of equities. Um, obviously, the story over the last 30 years has been the best way to invest as a Japanese investor is to invest in bonds. Uh, we think we're at a pivotal point for that. And corporate governance is, is, is improving as well. So share buybacks and increased dividends is likely to come through. Uh, I'll pop onto the bonds and, and mm. your outlook in, in just a moment. But we've had a huge amount of activity, IPO activity in our local stock markets here. Yeah. When you are putting together this investment advice for the year, do you look at the UAE markets? What would it take to to bring us up to that stage? Yeah, I guess it's, it really comes down to, I mean, we have the same issue in, in, in much of Asia, actually, where, where the markets are quite, um, quite illiquid, quite small. Uh, and so any allocation in these markets from a global investor perspective should be relatively limited. I mean, even uh, maybe let's even put it in the context of Japan, right? So we're overweight Japan at the moment. Uh, for a moderately aggressive investor, that's about a 4% allocation. Right. So if you put it in that context, you know, a G7 economy uh, still having a relatively small allocation. So it's a bit, it's a bit hard to sort of look at a very small markets from a global context and, and um, sort of form a view. What do we need to do to get your attention, though? Is it just grow? Yeah, I think it's the size of the market. I mean, obviously, if um, you know, if you can bring markets together, so if you had a uh, a regional Middle East market, obviously, Saudi, what's happening in Saudi? I'm going there to Saudi tomorrow. Um, what's happening there is incredibly interesting from a, a, a growth perspective in the region, um, and obviously, the stock market there is is more is, is more sizable and liquid. Um, but you know, if if we had a regional market, uh, then that probably uh, gained people's interest more. Interesting thoughts. Are you calling for merger, Steve? <laughs> merger is probably a little bit, uh, but but uh, you know, increased c- collaboration and coordination. I think we're seeing that, right? So it's not. Uh, I'm not uh, going uh, off the uh, beaten path. Um, you know, we, we are seeing that coming through. I think so. Uh, you know, heading in that direction. I've got a couple of minutes left with you. You're very positive on high quality bonds. Tell me what counts as high quality at the moment. Yeah. So I guess one of the questions we, we receive from clients is, you know, okay, so you like equities? Does that mean you like like high yield bonds, right? Because high yield bonds are, performance is generally correlated with equities. Um, our sense is we, we prefer to be a bit more defensive in the bond space and, and two reasons for that. Well, we are taking significant risk by being overweight global equities. Uh, do we want to double up on that in the high yield space? Uh, and our answer is no. And that's largely because we do see the risks uh, of a recession later in the year. Um, but also, if you look at credit spreads, they're quite tight. So for us, high quality is actually developed market government bonds. So US Treasuries, German Bunds um, are, are as front and centre of us. They're not really that sexy. Um, um, but, uh, you know, I think it's very uh, important ballast in people's portfolios. Yeah. Speaking of ballast, 30 seconds left with you. Hedging strategy? 
Yeah, so clearly the, the challenge is in this environment, there's lots of risks out there. We know uh, we could list them off very quickly. Um, so, you know, obviously the overweight to investment grade government bonds is a, is a hedge against a recession. The other risk we need to worry about is a resurgence of inflation. If that was to happen, it's a lower risk. Um, but some of the alternative strategies probably a, a good place to hunker down for that. Steve Bryce, Global Chief Investment Officer, Standard Chartered. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you so much, Brandy. Investments go up and investments go down. Before putting your hard-earned money into any investment, Dubai Eye 103.8 advises you to always do your own background research. Ensure you're informed to navigate the market and any potential pitfalls. Catch up on the business headlines with the bite-sized business breakfast. Where we are on Davos Watch. A sound not unfamiliar to our next guest. Fred Seacre is in the studio. Morning, Fred. Good morning, Richard. Former managing director of the World Economic Forum for well over a decade, currently based in Dubai, managing partner of TARDIS Advisors. Thanks very much indeed for being with us. Sure thing. It's uh, great to hear that yodeling. So let's start by hearing from your former colleague, Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum more than 50 years ago. The theme this year is rebuilding trust. This is what Professor Schwab had to say to CNN's Richard Quest. I think the biggest risk is that we lose trust, trust into our institutions and particularly trust in our capability to shape a better future. We have become too much pessimists. If that's the problem, is Davos the solution, Fred? Well, <clears throat> Davos definitely is uh, a place where you can um, uh, see the, the areas of the world that are maybe cause for pessimism, but also see the uh, areas of the world or the issues that are cause for optimism. So I think it depends if you see the glass half full or half em- empty. Uh, but it's when you have a a mix of you know 1,200 CEOs and experts from all kinds of fields and political leaders. Um, it's a vast array of subject matters and of conversations that take place. Uh, some of them are going to be positive and some of them are going to be negative. Uh, that's the, the reality of the world we live in today. Does Davos get things done? Tom was looking earlier on at a website. What has Davos ever done for me? I'm quite <laughs> bullish on Davos over the past half century. I think it has contributed to rising living standards for billions of people around the world, for example. That's the bullish view. What, what's yours? You know, I think the, uh, the mandate of the forum is to be a convener and a platform for conversations. It doesn't have a mandate to actually have an impact or to follow through on any kind of decisions that are taken up there. The decisions that might be taken within the confines of the conversations are followed up by the individual's the individual countries or the uh, individual chief executives that are up there. So whether it's on a political side, um, we've seen over the years a number of achievements that the organization has done. Walking back to when uh, Foreign Minister uh, of Germany, Genscher, said to the world, we have to give Mr. Gorbachev a chance uh, for the whole dismantling of the United of the Soviet Union. Or how Nelson Mandela changed his mind on nationalizing industries. Uh, which he was said, said he was going to do when he would get to power. And when he was in Davos and surrounded by a number of business people from all around the world who were saying to him, if you do that once you become president of your country, we will not invest in your country. And what really topped it off for him was 
when he had a bilateral meeting with the uh, uh, premier of China at the time, Li Peng, who told him, we are actually privatizing all of our state-owned companies. That very moment, Nelson Mandela changed the policy of the ANC on what they would do once they got to power. So it's a place that can influence, but it's not a place where decisions are taken. So, Mo, one of our listeners has written in, Davos is the playground for posturing, all talk and no outcomes. To say no outcomes, you argue, is unfair. Yeah, I would say that uh, it is unfair. There are some outcomes that we never hear of. Um, at the end of the day, this is a business meeting. It's funded by business. It is the United Nations uh, for business in, in, in a certain respect. Uh, and uh, there, the outcomes uh, are people who say that it's a posturing, um, as, as, as your friend has just said, I think one needs to ask the question whether this world needs more dialogue or less dialogue. More talk, call it talk if you want, or less talk. And I would be in favor of saying this world, with the fractured uh, situation that we're living in today, needs more of it rather than less of it. Well, certainly the UAE's got a big delegation there. We've got business people. I know Shamshir Vialil, the healthcare billionaire, is speaking today. Tomorrow we've got a big panel on the UAE. Various uh, ministers are going to be there, including Dr. Thani Al Zayudi, the trade minister for the UAE. You've worked with government departments here in the UAE regularly over the past few years. What do they get out of it? Uh, I think uh, the UAE, it's true, has its largest delegation ever going to Davos, close to 100 uh, delegates this year. And the UAE, I think, 10, 15 years ago, even more than that, 20 years ago, when I was working with uh, Minister Gurgawi, uh, on the first visit of His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum to Davos was really a place to come and learn, to come and see what the rest of the world was saying. And I think over the years, it's now evolved to a situation where the UAE is actually contributing to the global conversations that are happening. There's a lot of interest in how this country is developing, what its vision is for the future, how it got here so fast, where it wants to go. And that's why, as of last year, the UAE actually has a pavilion up in Davos. There's a country pavilion where they host a whole number of their own conversations and meetings in order to drive investment to the country and in order also to explain to the rest of the world uh, what the opportunities are here. Well, let's look at some of the substantive issues that they're going to be tackling. Klaus Schwab has said it's all about rebuilding trust this year. There's a risks report out from the World Economic Forum, which, of course, talks about geopolitics. It talks about climate and other issues as well. But artificial intelligence is one of them. Let's have a listen to John Scott. His day job is with Zurich, the insurance company. But he's also the lead author of the World Economic Forum risks report for this year. He was speaking to our colleague Georgia Tolley on the agenda recently. This is what he had to say about a in the long run, the big question, of course, is how does this artificial intelligence develop? The drawbacks, if you like, are probably around affecting the world of work in terms of jobs. It, it won't just make jobs more productive, but some jobs might disappear entirely. In more dystopian futures, it comes in a bit like science fiction, the computers take over. I think we'll, we're a long way from that, but people are aware of those risks. UAE Minister Al-Alama is there, our Artificial Intelligence Minister, speaking tomorrow. 20 seconds, your quick take on this, AI, friend or foe? It's, it's a reality, and therefore we have to turn it into a friend. Uh, there's no alternative to it. It's, in, it's pervasive in all of our lives daily, and it will continue to do so.
Finally, um, whether we love or hate Davos, Brandy, Scott and I both want to go. Brandy, you've been looking at wardrobe suggestions for Davos. Yeah, quite incredible. I'm not saying that it attracts a certain type, but I will say that the website I'm looking at, which gives you pecking suggestions, is telling me not to take a statement necklace in case it gets tangled in the lanyard and is suggesting a Birkin Chanel Fendi Prada uh, handbag large enough to carry papers in my business cards. 30 seconds left, Fred. If we're not a world leader or a billionaire, how do we get to Davos? Well, first of all, you can follow it on the website. Uh, there's over 200 sessions that are being uh, stream, streamed uh, currently uh, for the week. Uh, and uh, read your headlines. And um, nobody prevents you from going to Davos. You can actually go to the village and take part in all of the conversations that take place outside of the Congress Centre, which is practically more than what happens inside the Congress Centre. There we go, Brandy Scott. This time next year, Rodney will be <laughs> <you> millionaires. <laughs> the, the thoughts of uh, Frederick Secret, former managing director of the World Economic Forum. Currently, it has been for many years based here in Dubai, managing partner of TARDIS Advisors. Thank you. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's cross live to the Swiss ski resort of Davos now, where the World Economic Forum is taking place this week. Now, the billionaires and world leaders will be tucked up in their five-star hotels right now. It is five. 22am in Davos but one man is not. He is sleeping rough on the streets of Davos to highlight the plight of the homelessness. He's Simon Milne, Managing Director of Milne International, based in Scotland and a regular visitor to Dubai. He joins us now live from Davos and I can see on Microsoft Teams looks like he's sleeping in a tent. Simon, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Richard. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much indeed. We'll get to how you are in minus 15 temperatures right now in a few moments time. But first of all, give us the overview of what you and your associates are doing with what you're calling the Great Sleep Out. Yeah, so the Great Sleep Out is all about um, empowering people, uh, homeless people out of out of homelessness and off the streets and back into uh, back into jobs, back into homes and back into society. Uh, there, there are actually at the moment over 150 million people uh, globally who are experiencing homelessness. So, uh, the, the, and the biggest, the, the big problem with that as well is that uh, that number is actually growing at the moment. And uh, you know, we would, we would like to think that we are uh, living certainly in the Western world in a progressive society. Uh, but it actually seems that uh, we're going in a different direction. Uh, there seems to be more, a bigger divide between uh, those that have and those that haven't. And uh, so we, we decided to come to Davos, which is uh, uh, during the uh, during this week is the uh, is hosting the World Economic Forum, where some of the world's richest and most powerful people uh, have gathered to uh, to discuss. Um, the uh, their plans for the world and uh, we felt it was important to uh, to make homelessness uh, an issue uh, so we decided to uh, started out with uh, the great walk so the team has walked all the way from zurich to davos which is 150 kilometers which represents uh, each kilometer for uh, 1 million people uh, who are currently homeless so 150 kilometer walk from zurich to uh, to davos and then sleeping out uh, for four nights um, in temperatures. T t tonight was particularly cold. It was it's 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 around about minus thirteen at the moment. So, yeah, it's uh, 
<laughs> it's cold, very, very cold. Well, if you're watching on the Dubai One television, you'll see Simon. He's wrapped up in a coat and a scarf uh, and a hat, but still very much feeling the cold. Uh, Simon, I'm going to ask you what you hope to achieve at Davos this year. But first of all, let's hear briefly from Klaus Schwab now. He is the founder of Davos. The question is, is Davos still relevant? In fact, has it ever really been relevant or just a talking shop for posturing of billionaires and world leaders? This is what Klaus Schwab told Richard Quest of CNN. Davos, of course, bringing together 50 heads of states, 300 ministers, 1,500 business leaders, all the other representatives of uh, civil society, like young people and so on. It creates a kind of pot which is spoiling. Simon, why do you think Davos is relevant and important? Well, I think I think it is relevant uh, because, uh, as as uh, Klaus Schwab just said, there it, it is the melting uh, pot of all the world's uh, uh, most powerful people. Uh, the problem is that uh, that is a tiny, tiny percentage of the uh, the world's population. So uh, what I think is very important is to give uh, ordinary people a voice here in Davos. And that's what we are trying to do. So in terms of tangible outcomes, what are you hoping for? What's your best case scenario? Uh, Very, very uh, simple, Richard. We're looking for support. We're looking for sponsorship. uh, For I'll give you an idea. For every 100,000 US dollars that we raise, we can bring 1,000 people off the streets. Now, when you look at the money that's being spent in Davos, just over the the, the, the four or five days that uh, uh, where they're hosting the World Economic Forum, to give you an idea, it it, it costs around about three thousand euros to stay in a hotel at the moment in Davos. So the uh, the, the amount of money that's being spent here and the budget of some of these uh, large corporations, when you think that. For for only a hundred thousand dollars, we can bring a thousand people off the, the streets. That's quite that's quite uh, something. Uh, so we are looking first and foremost. We're looking for to raise funds uh, to go towards the, uh, the the charities that support the Great Sleepout, which is Freedom X and the Homeless Entrepreneur. You can uh, you can find us on Instagram at just simply go in at the Great Sleepout, and you'll find the links to all the. Uh, all the, the the various charities and all the uh, the the, the uh, sorry the the um, the links to uh, to to sponsor us as well. Finally, in terms of the UAE, I know you're a regular visitor here in Dubai. The biggest ever delegation from the UAE in Davos this year. You got billionaires. Shamshir Vialo, the healthcare billionaire, is speaking on a panel a little bit later on today. Tomorrow, we've got a lot of politicians from the UAE there, including, for example, Dr. Thani Al Zayudi, the the UAE trade minister. What's your message to them? Well, we 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 see the uh, the Middle East is very well represented in the. Uh, the, the main street of Davos. Uh, I've been in to see a few of the uh, the, uh, the the operations there, and uh, we would just love any support that uh, these uh, these organisations and these people can afford us. Simon, I'm going to let you go to warm up, hopefully get yourself a, a cup of tea or something. I am looking at the webcams for Davos at the moment, and the good news is the sun is beginning to rise, certainly over the top of the mountains right now. And in uh, some places, the temperature has risen to uh, not quite balmy, but minus nine degrees centigrade rather than the minus 15 that you and your colleagues have endured overnight. But thanks very much indeed for getting up early to speak to us today. And thank you for your time. Best of luck with what you're doing in Davos. The thoughts there of Simon Mill. He 
He is the managing director of Mill International. He's an activist with the Great Sleepout. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.